in any theatre and probably I'd say in any sort of creative industry and, and many others, ambition always is bigger than the resources. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. Nice to see you, Lou. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, so exciting. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this all day, <laughs> all day. So I'm with Luke Kernahan, who is a very successful theatre director. Very humble. I can see him <laughs> wincing in his seat as we speak. Yeah. Um, so honestly, it's a real pleasure to have you on. And of course, your lovely mum, Jackie Kernahan. Jackie Kernahan, yep. Yes. She sends uh, all of her best. Uh, <laughs> she's currently in Florida, enjoying herself out there. But yeah, obviously, you know her from many years back. So yeah, uh, she's, uh, she's doing very well at the moment. Good, good, good. So we've got a lot of connections in the world of travel. Yeah. But you're also the creative genius, really. Uh, but I should have been in the travel industry. I think, you know, all of my, uh, my parents, both parents were in the travel industry. All of my parents' friends, a lot of them were in the travel industry. I grew up in the travel industry. <laughs> I was a rep in Mallorca when I was 18 years old. Uh, that's maybe where I learned my theatre skills. Uh, <laughs> but actually, travel is not the industry that I went into. I went into theatre. However, I've managed to find a way to combine doing a lot of travel in theatre, which is really fantastic. Fantastic. So, yeah, so what I'm really interested in, Luke, is how did you get into theatre? Where did life start for you? How have you ended up where you are now? Because here we are in London and you're doing yeah. all these fabulous things, but I'm sure it was quite a journey to get to this point. Yeah, it was um, not linear at all, quite circuitous. I think I'd always known that I wanted to work in theatre. I have no idea where that came from, but it's... I've never not wanted to work in theatre. I think I was all, always very interested in film as well, uh, but theatre was something I, I just knew I was going to do. And I, at school, would always do the school plays. Um, I'm only child, so I would be constantly sort of writing stuff, reading, that sense of creativity and telling stories was always very important to me. Um, and I went to university and read French and Spanish. Uh, Again, parents in the travel industry mm. traveled a lot. Uh, I was born in Tenerife, um, so Spanish and French, I was doing that. And uh, I knew I wanted to go abroad. Um, sorry, I knew I wanted to, to study abroad because when you do French and Spanish, you have to spend one year away mm. um, in a foreign country. All of my friends were going off to be English teachers in Lille or wherever, <laughs> Barcelona. And I just thought, there's no way I'm going to go and spend a year teaching English. Um, and I, I thought this will be how I can start something in theatre. So I applied to a drama school in Paris. And I have no idea how I got in. Um, and it wasn't a traditional drama school. It was a very... Um, sort of uh, bit niche it was a, it's called the Jacques Lecoq school uh, and it's a physical theater ensemble devising or, uh, things that maybe are not as traditional as uh, stars of theaters that uh, as as in England and um, I arrived and um, could barely speak a word of French to be honest as well and that was wonderful and I just had the best two years of my life uh, I was supposed to go back and finish my degree after the first year in Paris, but I called up my university and I said, can I stay for another year, please? And they were absolutely <laughs> fine with that. And so I finished uh, the two years in Paris, went back, finished my degree, which was a very difficult thing to do because I felt I had found my tribe. I'd found mm. my people. Living in Paris, doing theatre um, was just... And it was an international school as well. So even though we all spoke French with each other, there were people from all across the world. So it was a real melting pot of experiences and backgrounds. And it was just the most, and I know people talk about this, but it was the most magical sort of two years. And coming back to the UK and having to go back into something much more structured, writing essays and that kind of university life, mm. uh, academia, I found that very difficult. But from that, I came back and I was working in, in sort of ensemble. After I, I finished my degree, eventually, I was working in ensemble companies, traveling a little bit around Europe in plays and stuff. Um, and it became very apparent to me that whilst I really loved being on stage and acting, actually, I was always looking at the bigger picture. What's mm. the story we're telling? What's happening on stage? And if it meant that 
people didn't even see me on stage, but it made the moment work. I was so happy to be the cliche guy holding the tree or whatever. Like I didn't mind <laughs> at all. So um, I realized actually I was more of a director potentially than, a, than an mm. actor. Um, and so I applied to uh, a fantastic drama school in London called Central School of Speech and Drama. And I applied to do an MA um, and in directing. And that was really pivotal because I think ultimately I knew that I could make theatre. I knew, I knew how to talk to actors because I'd been an actor. Mm. What I didn't know was the technical vocabulary. How do you speak to a lighting designer? How do you um, listen to a lighting designer? How do you share your ideas with uh, a stage manager? All of these people that m actually, when you initially think of theatre, you think of actors and directors and writers maybe, but mm. actually, there are so many people that actually make theatre happen. And I realised I potentially didn't have the technical expertise for that. And so I, I did my MA for a year and again, met some fantastic people. And that's also where I met my, my mentor, Roxana Silbert. She had um, come in to do a, a, a bit of training with us as directors. She is a very well-known, renowned uh, theatre director here in the UK. Originally, uh, her family's from Argentina. Um, she ran the Hampstead Theatre, Birmingham Rep. Uh, oh, wow. She was an associate at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And she, as well as now an incredibly dear friend, she has always been a fantastic mentor, someone that I could go to and ask questions about the industry or specific plays or get advice on, do you know, this actor and th that actor, tell me about this. And she was wonderful. She... Um, she basically took me to everywhere that she went. She, I would be her associate or assistant director on certain projects. And um, she really opened a lot of doors for me in, in a way that I, I still, when I think about it now, it's incredibly generous what she mm. sort of, um, the education that she gave me, not just in theatre, but also beyond that as well. And I think because she speaks Spanish, obviously with her background, just beautifully. And I think there, there was a kinship as well because of our, sh our shared love of language, of travel. Mm. Um, but she became very pivotal. And I think from there and, and working with her, I started to meet other directors that I was sort of being an assistant to or an associate uh, director, being in the room with really fantastic directors. Um, and then fairly early on, I became the first uh, resident associate director down at the Theatre Royal Plymouth, which I spent a year down there sort of seeing how the building works and operates. Um, and that was just a remarkable experience to, you know, I'm a Londoner. I've been in London since I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And so there is an idea that London is where theatre is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, I've always been really interested in, in not only London, but actually beyond and I you know I said earlier on I do a lot of travel and that's not just uh, international I do a lot of travel within the UK I, I at the moment working an awful lot up in Scotland but I think that time down in Plymouth as well was a really remarkable moment for me because I was meeting it's a receiving house so um, so there are productions that come for a week or two mm. they produce their own work as well um, or they were producing when I was there um, but it was very interesting because I would be meeting fantastic theatre companies and designers and directors that would come in almost on a weekly basis and sort of having the opportunity to chat and see their shows and talk about their shows. Um, again, it's theatre industries of, um, I, I don't want to say it's, nep you know, uh, closed off because it's really not. Um, but there is something about, as I assume with so many other industries, um, networks and connections and relationships actually mm. more than anything you know and, and I think something like Roxana is testament to that that you know relationships continue and develop and I think at the moment a lot of the companies that I work with are through many years of having developed working relationships with mm, mm. you know what you, your energy is incredible <laughs> no, you mean i talk too much uh, no, too quickly no not, at all. no not at all i mean you've got an aura right you've got a real special aura about you oh, and a real you. a real energy and it just shines through because you clearly love what you do i do i i'm incredibly lucky i wanted to do theater yeah. and, and i that's my career um theater is a very uh, you don't go into theatre to make money. 
you know, it does not pay very well. A bit like the travel industry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I bet. Actually, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, and so you have to love it. And I think, you know, one of the dangers as well is it is it is my job, but also it's a passion. And so it's an interesting thing. And it's something I've been speaking a lot about with a lot of people recently is, is about how you how you combine, but also how you keep separate the mm. personal and the professional, because actually it is a, it is my work, but also you invest so much of yourself yeah. and your relationships are, so many of my friendships are within the theatre sector, obviously. Mm. Um, and and so it's, I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to do what I do, um, but there are, there are lots of challenges in it as well, actually, I have, mm. to, I have to admit. And I'm a freelancer, so I don't, I don't work uh, I'm not employed by anyone. I work for myself. And so I'm constantly looking for the next gig, the next job, trying to set up stuff in the future so that then when this job is finished, I'm on to the next one. And mm. and that is wonderful. I mean, again, the privilege of that. But it's exhausting as well because you are constantly sort of looking for what's the next job? Do I have a job to go on to? Mm. You know, so you're making you're lining up work whilst you're making work. And I used to be much more linear, I think, uh, previously uh, when I was younger and sort of be able to do one thing at a time. And you can't do that in theatre. You have to be able to multitask and think about multiple projects at different stages of development Mm. and sort of flit between the two, which (laughs) it's taken me so long to learn how to do that. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> well, you're on your way to mastery. Yes, on your way, on your way, on your way. But, you know, what type of theatre do you love the most? Because, I mean, there's a whole range, isn't oh, there? You know, and, from anything from... And, yeah. Oh, God, from Shakespearean to yeah. new writing to musicals. So I, again, I think maybe this has been one of my... Um, I think it's a positive. I, I think sometimes when I was initially starting out in the industry perceived as a negative, but um, the industry originally, I think, wanted to be able to pigeonhole you, to identify Mm. you. Uh, You're a Shakespearean director. You work on new plays, or you're a physical theatre director, or you work on musicals. Um, I do all of those things. So I've worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company. I've worked with new writing um, companies. Uh, I recently, in the last few years, moved into, very consciously moved into working on musicals, even though I'm not musically trained. Um, I love working on classics. I really, really love working with young people. Um, I think that's really important and it has become a huge part of my professional career. Mm. Um, and I, th- I love that. I love the fact that I can be working on a Shakespeare play or then go and do a jukebox musical as I'm about to go back up to Scotland to do or um, work with uh, new writers. And by new writers, I don't mean uh, someone who's new to writing, but someone who writes plays. Mm. Um, and so to me, that what a wonderful opportunity that I can do that and do it internationally as well. But I know that some people, again, that awful word linear, some people have much more linear careers. Um, And that was never what I, (laughs) that was never what I was going to be or (laughs) what I was going to do. So, you know, so I love it all. I really do. I go and see a lot of theatre because I think it's really important um, in any industry to be aware of the culture, what's happening Mm. uh, at that moment in time in your sector. Um, and how do you fit into it? Where do you see it moving and, and going and developing? And so I really, you know, when I sp- speak with young people, one of the things I say is I know it can be expensive, but there are ways to get cheaper tickets, student prices, etc., all mm. of that. But really, I believe it's sort of our job as well to see theatre, mm. to be able to see what's out there, what people are doing. And so I love going to see classical work. Um, this last week, I've been to see two musicals in the West End, you know, and just really, I think theatre was also bouncing back from COVID, which is great. And so just to be able to see everything that's happening um, has, been, is, has been great. I'm really conscious that I don't want to only do one mm. style of theatre. I mm. think that would... 
yeah, I'd get tired of that board potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's the what's what's the big pressure points for you then when you're when you're directing? Because I'm sure everyone thinks, oh, this must be easy. It's all right for Luke, isn't it? It's, it's wonderful. It's <laughs> amazing. It's wonderful. He's got it all covered. Yeah, but there must oh, be pressure points. What what a are the lot of, a lot of them? I think um, time and money is is always very difficult. Um, so I work a lot in the subsidised sector. There is mm. the commercial sector as well, which I've done a few projects in but mainly I'm in the subsidised sector. And in any theatre, and probably I'd say in any sort of creative industry and, and many others, ambition always is bigger than the resources. That's just the way I think humanity operates. Yeah. We, want to, we want to do so much more than we actually can achieve. Yeah. And that's fantastic. Um, when it comes to making theatre, we have very you know, limited rehearsal times. Um, and and often the budgets for our imaginations are not as big as we want. So we, we, I don't want to say compromise, but we're also we're always looking at how do you achieve creatively and artistically what you want to do. Mm. But are there any ways to do that cheaper? Yeah. <laughs> Can we have more so, for yeah, less, please? So exactly. And you know, yeah. and, and it's like business, right? yeah, absolutely. It is an industry. It's yeah. a business. And and you know, I, I work with fantastic producers. Um, uh, across across the sector, currently I'm working with uh, Raw Material, uh, who this fantastic independent producing company up in in Scotland, and Margaret Ann and Gillian, who set up Raw Material. I've worked with them many many times actually before, and now quite a bit since they've set this company up. They are amazing because they are creative producers. They understand the art that we want to make and what we're trying to achieve, and feed into and and support that. And at the same time, they are brilliant at saying, we can't afford that. Mm, or, mm. okay, if you want that, do you, are you prepared to give up this? And that is a reality. We have to be able to, to have those discussions and talk about that because there is a finite part of resources when mm. we're making theatre. On a personal level, for me, I've, it's interesting being a freelancer, not just the sort of juggling multiple projects at the same time, but you have that constant first day of school feeling. Um, and actually, I can be quite introverted and, and shy. And to be the driving voice... Actually, Roxana speaks about this very well. I remember once she said, that there's nothing worse than the very first day of rehearsals because you have a room full of quite nervous people mm. and suddenly 20 or 30 pairs of eyes just latch onto you to say, what's going to happen? Yeah. What are we doing? And I'm now much better at that. But but still, there's a moment where, you you know, that night before you go, Am I, have I done enough prep? Am I ready for this? And, you know, it's it's a um, those first few days, you're so in charge of maintaining uh, and setting the culture of what that room is going to be, how we treat each other. Um, how we speak to each other, how we're going to approach the work, what the ethos of the work is as mm, well. Mm. Um, I, and and the, the, there's a lot of responsibility on that. Mm. Um, and the thing with, with the process that we go through is we, we sort of spend four, maybe six weeks in a rehearsal room. I say six, I don't think I've ever had six. It's <laughs> always four or less. Um, creating a play and then you spend uh, a week in the theatre technically bringing everything together. Um, and I suppose that's a challenge as well uh, as with anyone in a managerial position. You are constantly looking to see have you taken your eye off the ball in any of the different departments. Mm. So for me one of the joys is making sure you work with great people, that you bring the best team you can on board so that you know that you can trust them to do their job brilliantly. I'm not a lighting designer. I'm not a sound designer. So I know I want the best lighting sound designers who can do their job, who can interact with me, talk with me, mm. and see together, collaborate on what this will end up being. Mm. And I think it's really important to find the best team. And sometimes, again, that can be difficult when, when you're working on something and uh, it's the first time you've worked with this person mm. and you're going, okay, we're establishing a working relationship at the same time as that we're trying to create something. Um, and so that can be challenging at times. And, you know, then that very first time that you put it in front of an audience is, is 
I've never experienced anything so joyous and horrific at the same time because you constantly think, oh, I hope this is good. I hope audiences respond. Actually, that's what I should say because I think asking if something is good is not great. But do people respond to it? Are people enjoying it? Mm. Are we telling the story we want to tell? You know, those first couple of moments when you have a new audience in front of something that you've created, I mean, you just, it's horrific and joyous at the same time. Wow, know? yeah. And, and a lot of responsibility, you know, you yeah. were talking about all the different, I mean, all the different elements <clears throat> that you, you, you know, you're overseeing and you need to have knowledge and experience enough in all those areas to know what good looks like totally. or what excellent looks like, yeah. but at the same time, you're not the expert. It's, it's very similar it's to, to actually being the CEO of a business. Completely. And I think that I think there's, really a, there's a lot of crossover there. Mm. I think often people not within the creative industries potentially look at the creative industries and, th- and the word art gets put forward. And mm. so you think, oh, oh. But actually there's so much um, in the creation of a piece of theatre or a film or, a, you know, a piece on the radio or music. It is such a collaborative process. It has to be. Mm. Um, and my job is to make sure that everyone feels empowered and emboldened to do their job to the best of their abilities. Mm. I have a vision for shows and I know I sort of have a sense of what I want it to be. And I can, I think, hopefully talk passionately about that with designers, costume designers, lighting designers, etc., and actors as well. But also a big part of my job has to be to listen mm. because if it's just my vision going forwards, then I don't need everyone else. I'll just do it all myself. And that's not, I don't believe that's what theatre is. It's the, um, it's the incredible alchemy of this particular group of people coming together at this moment in time will make this piece of theatre. You substitute any one person and forcibly the end product, and I hate calling it product, <laughs> but the end product will be different. And yeah. I think that's that's a great thing to acknowledge and to realize and go, yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's that specific alchemy of this group of people. So I do a lot of talking. I hope <laughs> I do a lot of listening as well and, and asking and, and, and sort of really, again, trying to embolden people to do their best work. Mm. And you know, when you think about, well, when I think about creative people, I tend to think about quite flamboyant, quite quite emotionally charged, maybe some big egos in the room yeah. and lots of, you know, sort of personalities and, and, and pressure that you have to manage. How do you how do yeah. you manage maybe some of the, 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 the tiaras and the tantrums yeah, aspects uh, with actors and people on the team? Because I'm sure be. that's not easy. No, it's not. Oh my God, not at all. And I think it goes back to what we were saying. I was saying earlier on about um, the combination of the personal as well mm. as the professional because because you are you're asking people to explore personal things actually emotions things mm. like that um, a huge part of my job is about psychology understanding how people operate and going okay this person works best with positive reinforcement okay this person actually wants the truth the hard truth. Mm. Um, this person wants this. So again, it's it's the first sort of beginnings of, of each process is about me also sort of understanding the psychology of not only the individuals, but the psychology of the room. Who's the scapegoat? Who is the voice that's leading at moments when maybe they shouldn't be? Mm. Um, who's the person who's quietly going in, you know, just slightly pulling back at certain moments when other people are being louder, and, which I'm sure are, are absolutely, I know they are from actually speaking with my mum. Mm. You know, those are skills in terms of management skills, you know, understanding the culture of a room and the dynamics, interpersonal dynamics. It's a huge part of what I do. Mm. And I think when you get to the slightly bigger personalities shall we say yes um i think a big part of that is about listening but then also trying to find a way to open open the door to let someone say what they need to say but not indulge it too far and then also go okay we have a job to do now so often it's a question saying how do you want to move forwards then because I can say what, what we're going to do, but sometimes it's really beneficial to, to understand 
what someone else's ideal scenario would be so that you could go, okay, that's great, let's try for that. Or practically that's not going to work right now because we've got 10 other people who are here and waiting mm. and we need to move forwards. But I think listening is a huge part of it. And also just treating people kindly. Oh, that sounds so terrible. God, that's <laughs> awful. But just listen, you know, treating people with respect, I think yeah. is really important. And if you feel that someone is taking it that f- bit too far, I think you have to slight jump in quickly. Mm. I've been in scenarios and rooms where, where you suddenly realize that someone missed that opportunity to nip it in the bud and, and establish what the, the decorum of the room is going to be. Mm. And, and that's when you go, I missed it. I missed it that time. And so you then have to re- renegotiate for yourself and, and, and find another way around that. Yeah. The thing I found, the time that people are being their most, and I don't, uh, traditionally diva-ish, is because they're unhappy. Mm. So therefore my job, again, is how to make them happy so that they can do their job. Or how to, if not make them happy, at least make them not unhappy. Mm. And people often are... Uh, volatile or demanding when they feel that they ha- they haven't been listened to. So big part of it is is that listening to and mm-hmm. and just identifying. People often talk in theatre about the um, the formal in the rehearsal room and then the informal, which is outside. Maybe you go to the pub for a drink afterwards after rehearsals and and you have the opportunity to in a much more informal setting go, hey, how was that today? Or was that okay? We were struggling with that here. Or, ah, I, I didn't do so great with that. Thank you for, for, for bearing with me in that moment. Um, I'm a great one, I think, for acknowledging my own fault in a moment. Not always. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's well afterwards. But I try increasingly. I find it's a good tactic Mm. to open up people to be able to identify maybe where they misstepped or something. Mm. So I I think sometimes I can, you know, I I find it a useful tactic to not be the person that goes, I have all the answers. To go, I didn't didn't do that great today. Sorry about that. I I see where I went wrong. You know, how about you? And I think people can be disarmed by that in a good way sometimes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, when you think about some of the people you've worked with, and you've had quite a, oh, quite a long list yeah. of incredible lo- actors, yeah. actresses, haven't you? Really lovely. Last year, I was um, really lucky to work with Leslie Nichol uh, from Downton Abbey, uh, Mrs. Patmore. Um, she had written a one-woman show with this... Uh, incredibly talented, multi-award-winning uh, songwriter, uh, Mark Muller, who is a Grammy-winning uh, musician. And we opened a show in Chicago, and then we took it to New York. And, you know, Leslie is an incredible actor who of a very high status. And actually, when I first met her, we were in Los Angeles many years ago. And, um, you know, it's really interesting working with people at different stages of their career. And actually, the ones that you want to work with, the Leslies of this world are the ones who, you know, I can imagine she was exactly as she is now, 10, 20, 30 years ago as well. Mm. And, you know, people working at the Royal Shakespeare Company was an incredible thing because you see um, established, really big established theatre people and how they treat younger, you know, up and coming, fresh to the industry people. And I I find it really interesting. I think... um, I think the people I like and the people I like to work with are always those people. Siobhan Redmond is a Scottish actress who's done a lot of TV, a lot of theatre. She's an amazing actor because not only is she brilliant at what she does, she also understands group dynamics. And and there have been moments where, uh, you know, we were at the RSC together and we, mm. we, we did a couple of shows since and um, we travelled with another show all across the world. And there was this one show we were doing, and I remember thinking um, the industry would assume that she and this other actress would maybe be a bit cold with each other. They were great mates. They were fantastic mates. And I remember at one stage I sort of brought this up to Siobhan, and she said, um, she said, well, look, ultimately, the both of us have to be on stage together. I have to trust her. 
Mm. And she said, maybe at the beginning it was about going, okay, keep, you know, stay close just to, you know, just to see, make sure that we're in this together. But then friendships develop and, you know, it's, it's remarkable learning from the old school actors just what it takes to, to do theatre. Because I think I'm still learning so much. Um, and I think there's something really interesting about being able to see these people who done rep, who've traveled across the UK, who've traveled internationally, who've slogged and really worked hard before there was the Netflix boom of, you know, <laughs> or the Harry Potter films to keep every British actor yeah. in, you know, Game of Thrones, all of those things. And it's been really interesting learning from them. But at the same time, I work a lot with young people and I find that equally as rewarding because I learn so much about what theatre is now. And, you know, working, so when I say young people, I'm sort of talking about drama school students, university students, that's sort of the, mm. the group that I work with. And I, I love it. A, it keeps me on my toes because you have to sort of be aware of how do you speak, how do you communicate, you, you have to be much clearer and deal with a lot more uh, uncertainty, I suppose. Um, and B, you just have to understand a different world. The world of 21-year-olds is very different from my world. <laughs> very different. So, you know, you're listening to music or you're, you're picking up things that people are talking about, uh, uh, levels of culture and, and also things that are happening in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've been uh, lucky to work rec recently with a couple of um, young trans actors and that's been really interesting to sort of understand, you know... Um, the specific dilemmas and issues that are being that they are facing in this industry mm. um, and beyond theatre just what it takes to be a young person with Instagram and Twitter and all of this stuff happening you know and so I think I'm in a really wonderful position to have colleagues and friends who are established and um, have seen an awful lot but then also be working with and and have great friendships with much younger people who are sort of the future of theatre as mm. well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, age and we, <clears throat> society isn't always kind, shall no. we say, when we, <laughs> when, we, when we get to a certain sort of decade and then the next decade mm. comes along. And, and I think, you know, age is often seen in quite derogatory terms. And, and I think, you know, you've shown two polar extremes there of actually mm. experience yeah. and knowledge and life um, versus sort of fresh, you know, maybe slightly more innovative, fresh thinking, technology. Yeah, totally. Um, and actually, neither is better or worse. It's just, it's just different. Different. Right? And actually, we, the, the thing often is, often we put them into separate bubbles. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and often keep, keep them apart. You get into a rehearsal room, and actually what you find is, it's, it, there are so many times where the more senior person, uh, actor in the room, loves coming over and... And, you know, working out, oh, what's this? What's that? Tell me about this. Or, the you know, seeing the younger, maybe more inexperienced person in a cast actually get the courage to come up and talk to some to one of the older mm. company members is so wonderful because ultimately, ultimately, at the end, what you have is a really great room full of people who really listen to each other mm. and respond and work with each other. But I think so often, and I think it happens with age, I think it happens with experience, background, so many different things. We're, we're put, pigeonholed very obviously into these sort of, you can do this, you can do this, you can't mm. do this. Um, and I find that difficult. Uh, you know, again, going back to my non-linear sort of yeah. journey to, to what I was doing, to what I do, I, I find it very hard when people want to place me in a box mm. Um, I've always loved musical theatre. I love old school f musical films. You know, those really classic MGM musical films. I just always loved. And, but I didn't have a musical background or training. And a few years ago, I just thought, I really want to direct a musical. And I... I trained myself. I mean, I could, I could sort of read music on a page so I knew what it meant. Mm. But I thought, I'm going to do that. And I got little bits of experience here and there and sort of, you know, worked my way up. And last year I directed three musicals, one of which 
uh, it's going back out on the road all across Scotland. It's an award-winning piece of musical theatre now that we're hugely proud of. It's called The Stamping Ground. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's an incredible thing when actually that thing that you went, I really want to be able to do that, actually you make it happen. Mm. And it took, it took a while and, and, and I worked at it slowly and worked out where were my... Where was my lack of experience, my lack of understanding? Who could I speak to? Where could I get those little bits? Um, and I, I'm so thankful now that this is another, you know, skill set that I have. I love working with mu yeah. in musicals. You know, you go into an audition, you sit down, and incredibly talented people come in and sing at you. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that it's, for a day job? <laughs> like properly, it's an amazing thing, and you go, thank you. I've just had my own concert for the day, and yeah. I now have to work out who's going to have the, the take the role. But it's a really privileged experience to yeah. sit there in a room yeah. with incredibly talented people, just come in one after the other, sing a great song, yeah. do a little bit of a reading, you have a chat, and they go, and you think, well, that was a nice day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this constant reinvention, you know, mm. I mean, that's clearly a big passion for you to always be a better version of yourself, try something new, not yeah. be pigeonholed. And, you know, you talked a little bit, uh, Luke, about the mindset and you had to kind of get yourself in the right place to be able to take on, you know, that musical theatre challenge, etc. So how, how important is sort of mental health, mindset, mm. positivity, self-belief, and all of this aspect in, in your world? Or is it that you've always had, you know, a lot of confidence and it doesn't really play on your mind like it might do with some other people? No, um, I, I think I've always been very unconfident, actually. And I think that's always been one of the things that's, that I have always struggled with is a lack of confidence. The classic imposter syndrome yeah. aspect. Um, and yeah. I think it's very prevalent in most industries. I think, um, especially in th in theatre, because theatre is such a uh, the traditional bit is that it's quite a competitive industry. There are mm. so many people up for the one job and one role, and and actually, so therefore, it's an industry of disappointment. And so, when I work with young people, the first thing I one of the big things I talk about is how to manage disappointment and to actually not play into. I think. Uh, the industry's desire to, to make us compete with each other mm. because that way ruin <laughs> lies and I think you can become very bitter. Um, so it's something I, I really try and talk a lot about and, and unpick with young people. For me, positivity is key and I think about it, it's about how to keep buoyant in moments of disappointment. There are so many jobs I didn't get that I wanted or opportunities that uh, I thought were going to come my way that maybe didn't or productions you know there's so many productions that were supposed to happen during uh, that were then curtailed or cancelled because of covid things like that and so what do you do how do you keep the mind fresh active interested because um, I think those are the things that keep you interesting mm. um, so that's part of it I also think it's really important to go back to the audition sort of scenario um, I want my room, be it an audition room or rehearsal room, to be a positive place because I think people work better if they feel supported and encouraged and heard. Yeah. Um, I know some, uh, some directors are not like that and it's much more hardline um, and there can be more negativity. And that's not to say that I skirt from uh, conflict because I think conflict in a creative uh, mode can be really, really uh, useful and beneficial mm. if you manage it well. Um, but I know, for example, when I have people come in for an audition, they're 99% of the time very nervous. They really want this. They've never met me. It's intimidating, etc. And so I'm 100% a firm believer that my job is to put them at ease. Because if I want to see them at their best in this very short, limited amount of time that we have where yeah. they can sell themselves, I need to make them feel that they can sell themselves, that they can do this. And I don't understand why audition, why people have horror stories, because, because that shouldn't be our industry. To me, I want people to come in and uh, feel that also they're auditioning me. Do they want to work with me? 
again, it goes back to something about the power. In, I think there's a very old, old, old traditional idea of power imbalance in theatre. Producers, directors, with their cigar, chomping away. <laughs> You're going to make it, kid. <laughs> like, that's, I, I, I think that still exists somewhere. Not in my world. Not mm. in what I do. Because I think that we have to sort of realise we're in a different different place. Uh, maybe this comes from the working with the younger people mm. or something. Mm. But I think the power structures and dynamics are different now. And mm. I, I want people to feel empowered when they meet me, when they are auditioning, so that if they don't get the job, it wasn't a waste of their time or it mm. doesn't dent their confidence for future work. Um, and I think that's something that I try to take into all of my work. Um, it's something that I have to remind myself to, if in moments that I find challenging, Okay, so what's working, what isn't working? And really name it and go, okay, so how can I improve the stuff that isn't working? Mm -hmm. My mum is a list maker. When I was growing up, the house was sort of (laughs) the most beautifully uh, organized and uh, clean house you've ever seen. But open a a drawer, there'll be lists everywhere. Lists, cupboards, (laughs) lists, lists. And it took me a long time in that, you know, in that way that we rebel against, you know, the structures of our parents. But took me a long time to realize actually lists are really fantastic and my phone I'm now forever making lists and and I do it on a on a macro and a micro okay so in this scene what have I missed today what have I not done what do I want to achieve tomorrow um, on the bigger picture okay what's uh, who do I want to be in touch with who am I how am I advancing my career who am I inviting to come and see this next show um, and it's taken me a while to work out how to 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 I to self self-identify in terms of the things that are working and not working. And for me, writing lists has been a really fantastic way. And not letting myself off the hook, admitting to my mistakes mm. and going, that wasn't great. I'm sorry about that. I maybe wasn't, you know, I let the ball drop in this moment. And I think I think it's really important in places of m- management to not always pretend we have the answers. And I think in theatre especially, because it's um, if you know what it is before you start, what's the point in doing it? It's a discovery. It's a process of discovery, yeah. of revelation. And it's difficult because when you match that with imposter syndrome, you always want to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and so how do you find the balance between the two? It's sort of been a long a lot of my life's work <laughs> yeah. but I think that's been really um, really something I've, I've become much more confident in doing about saying I don't know or or finding the, the people who will having the people around me who might know and go okay I don't know this what do you mm. can you help me with this because it's not working at the moment yeah yeah it comes with maturity, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, you're right, great yeah. leaders, you know, a great leader surrounds themselves arguably with people that are far more talented than they are in their specific areas, oh, right? That, that's the smart thing to do. Whereas when you're younger in your career, you almost you don't want to admit that you don't know because totally. it's seen as a weakness, whereas actually it's a strength, yeah. isn't it, to yeah. recognise that. And there were, there were moments I was working with much older actors mm. and I found my youth and inexperience, I, I was the one that was intimidated by that, not them. Yeah, I, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, they're going to think I'm terrible and I don't know what I'm doing because they've worked with all these impressive directors, Sam Mendes and whatever. And, and actually, again, it's about, I think, in any industry, in, in all of our individual careers, so much of it then comes down to about actually understanding ourselves and how we operate and what our faults are and our knee-jerk reactions to, okay, this is what I always do, try and how can I change that? Mm. How can I go through that barrier that I often place here that has maybe just stopped that development and growth? Mm. And it's something I'm still doing and still learning an awful lot about myself and my process. Um, but then again, I think that's why I, I have found it very interesting to try and put myself in positions where if I'm offered something that I find scary, I think that's you know, there are productions I've done where I'm like, oh my God, I can't do that. And I think those are the ones now without hesitation, I instantly say yes. 
and then I'll, I'll let future Luke worry about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yes, I'll figure <laughs> yeah. out how to do yeah. it later. And I think it's really important yeah. to actually increasingly put myself in, in positions of um, fear and vulnerability because that's ultimately really exciting. Mm. It really is exciting. I do a lot of traveling. Um, I was in uh, South Korea just before the pandemic hit, directing a show um, in Seoul. And, you know, it's, I love that. I love going to a country I've not been to before, can't speak the language, and, and go, how on earth am I going to work with this group of people? And as you have now experienced, I talk a lot, I talk quickly, <laughs> and how am I going to do my job? when there are so many things stacked against me, mm. um, not understanding, you know, the culture of a place, how different people, how different cultures operate, what, what their rituals of, um, of etiquette are. All of those things, I find it fascinating. I directed for the National Theatre of Mexico. I was lucky I spoke Spanish. But even then, I was like, oh, my Spanish isn't this good. Yeah. <laughs> like, here we go. Mexican Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but just incredible privileges. And um, I worked, uh, I, I used to do quite a lot of work in Australia. Uh, I'm an associate or was an associate with uh, an arts and social justice company called Big Art. It sounds much better in an Australian accent. <laughs> Big Heart. Um, um, and I remember that I'd never been to Australia and the very first time I went, uh, got off the plane, quickly went down to Tasmania where their main offices were. And within a day, I was in the middle of the Pilbara Desert in northwest um, Australia working with the indigenous community there. And I was just like, I'm a London boy. What's, where's, where, where, where's my Starbucks? Where's, you know, whatever. And, and it was a completely different world. Yeah. And um, I think I've managed to find... a a way to make my career uh, to embrace those things that I love, travel, experience, those kind of things, mm. um, which I think come from my parents and my background. Because I think there is a version of my career where, again, maybe it would have been much more linear and London-based and traditional, um, and I didn't want that. And I'm sure potentially at some stage I could have made a bit more money being more traditional or whatever. Who knows? But, but if I look at the life experiences I've had, ah, oh, and, and they've all been enabled through my theatre mm. and a part of that. And I just think, you know, what an absolute privilege and joy to, to, to have had those experiences. Um, but then also, you know, this, in terms of this podcast, like uh, I used to do a lot of touring around the world with shows. And we took this one show to uh, across China, so about three or four different places in China, Taiwan, Russia, and then America. And my days off were always very different from the rest of the company. So all the actors would have a day off and I was working with um, local actors to fit them into the, the, the show. And so... I would get to places like um, Shanghai or, uh, and, uh, or Beijing and everyone else would go off and do their sightseeing together and I go, oh, I'm on my own, so what am I going to do? Stay in my hotel room? No, oh. like get out there on my own. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the, the things are, and would I have liked to have done it with some mates and whatever? Of course I would, but that option wasn't available. And so then you go, well, I'm, going to put my big pan, big boy yeah. pants on and <laughs> yeah. just get out there. And, yeah, yeah. and I'm so thankful that even though I, even though I know I have a, um, uh, a side of me that is much more lacking in confidence, actually there are moments where I, very, I, I really say to myself, what do you want right now? Do you want to be the person that missed, that missed out on? Mm. And so I've had the most incredible experiences. I, I have to say that... that Traveling around China, we did Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Um, I saw all of those places uh, practically on my own. Margaret and uh, we had a couple of trips together, which was, was great. But I, 
was so excited by the stuff that I saw and did. And I could have just stayed in a hotel room or been at the theater and actually, no, I wanted to embrace and see it. Yeah. And I met incredible people on those journeys. And that's where the growth comes, isn't it? Oh, you know? 100%. Who wants average when you can have remarkable? Completely. It, and that, I think, should be the, everyone's motto. Do you want to, do you want to regret it? The fact that you sat and didn't do it, you know, I mean, it's, it sounds so cliche and trite, but to regret the things you did rather than the things you didn't do, I think is such um, a mantra for me because mm. I think it's so important. There are so many times that I feel, oh, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to have that awkward moment. And, and again, you said it, you know, experience and maybe growth and age play into that, that now increasingly... I just go, oh, fine, I have a minute of embarrassment, my heart rate will flutter and then it's done, you know, <laughs> and I'll get to experience the things I wanted to. And I, I think regret must be one of the absolute worst emotions to have. Mm. I really do. Mm. I think, and I'd much rather just, just try as much as I can and not regret. You know, you ask about failure and there are shows I've done that haven't worked and whatever. Do I regret them? No, you always take something positive from it. If it's something that you learn or a new relationship with a, an actor that you hadn't worked with before or something like that, you know, I think to regret anything must feel awful. Yeah, life's short. <laughs> well, we don't know how long we've got, do we? Let's totally. Just, and yeah. I think that's really, really important to understand. You know, I look for, you, you can probably only do X amount of plays a year. And I look at, you know, okay, I've got this in the pipeline, this in the pipeline. And you go, oh, actually, there's a finite number of shows I can probably do in my career. Yeah. Um, well, probably, of course, there's, there is a finite number. And so there are passion projects I've always had that I've always thought I would do. And now I go, well, I have to make them happen. Um, and these are the things that are really interesting to me about how we... Theatre is such not non-linear... There seems to be a theme today of linear, ah, yeah. non-linear. Non-linear. It's it's not linear because it's it's often very reactive to to circumstances in terms of uh, economics, global financial position, or, or what's happening, but also where the tastes of an audience are as well. Mm. And theatre, you you program these things quite far in advance as well. So you have to sort of be uh, flexible and responsive, but also have have ideas and plans but you can't plan it's very difficult to plan theatre about what you're going to be doing and you can't have a five-year plan it's no. very hard in theatre because you maybe have a hit with one thing and that suddenly takes you off in another direction or you meet someone this this and so I think the, the more traditional idea of planning curating a five-year plan it's possible, but it's not as easy, I think, in a, in theatre backgrounds. Mm, yeah. And you know what? And you make a really interesting point. And for anyone listening, the whole point around, you know, just just bloody put yourself out there in the world, right? You don't, don't, you know, so many, it really drives me crazy. I mean, I, it's taken me quite a long time to, to realise what my purpose in life is, right? And, and when you're younger, you're figuring it out and, and we don't always get it right. But I really genuinely believe my purpose in life is to unlock greatness in myself and others by being brave, bold and brilliant. Uh, I mean, fantastic. <laughs> because, but that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying everyone's got it in them. Totally. But, but don't, don't let fear stop you. Don't let fear of failure, judgment. And one of the things that was really liberating for me, and we were talking about coming out of corporate world yeah. and, and kind of, you know, how you can put yourself out in the world yeah. and stuff. And one of the things that really helped me was I thought, well... People are going to judge me anyway, right? They're going to judge me anyway, how I speak, what I yeah. wear, you know, yeah. whatever, Everything. what I do. So I may as well be judged for something that's meaningful, important. Oh. And as long as I'm putting myself out in a way that I, I think is in the right way, that isn't harming people. Completely. You know what? If I'm your bag and you like me, and that's great. If you don't, that's also fine. It's also fine. In fact, also <laughs> and it's quite liberating. It's great, great. Jog on. <laughs> Find someone that you like. I, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think it's again. It's. I think it goes back to the confidence of self. Yes. Kind of, and the, the awareness of self and understanding that exactly what you just said. You. We have such limited time. Find what makes you happy because often that's the thing that's going to make you the most successful mm. as well. Because when you are passionate about what you do, actually you end up inflaming other people's passion as well yeah. or finding the way to make it work. 
And I found it really interesting, again, working with younger people, where I can see the timidity and the fear. And so often I'm, I'll say the stupid thing. I'll be the first person to say the stupid thing, to laugh or make myself look stupid so that actually it starts to eradicate the, the fear of being silly, stupid, yeah, yeah. looking yeah. like an you idiot. You're giving permission, aren't you? Give you give permission for that, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and permission for failure. Mm. Um, I've, I've sort of developed this thing recently in the last few years where I, um, I think it's like we, we often talk in theatre about building a play, building a show, building a scene, building a character. And I think that that vocabulary of building is slightly the wrong vocabulary. If I want to build a house, I need plans. I need to know what it's going to look like before I start. Mm. I need to know what the foundations are and the end product. And theatre isn't that. I think it goes back to what I said earlier on. If you know what the end product is, what's the point? It's a process of discovery and revelation. So I started to talk about theatre as being, the analogy I make is, we're, we're sculptors with a huge piece of marble. And at that moment in time when I start, it can be anything. This marble could be anything. It could be uh, a beautiful uh, figure, or it could be a dog, or it could be a toilet, whatever it is. It could, but at this moment, the, op- the options are limitless. And you have to approach the marble and go, right, is it this? And you chip away a little bit and you go, mm, yeah, it could be. Is it this? No, it's not. Okay, so I know that now. And it's a process of revelation. And each time you go back to it, you refine it and you sculpt it that little bit more. And you go, okay, it's a humanoid figure. Okay, I get that. Okay, so now in this scene is the character angry. Yeah, let's try it angry. Oh, no, not angry. Okay, so let's try it. Uh, she's excited. You know, and each time you look at the scene again, you're, you are going over that piece of marble and refining it, refining it, chipping away more and more to reveal what was in there all along, but you just didn't know it. Mm. And I find that way of looking at theatre, it does two things. It, it helps us understand that we shouldn't know the answers before we start. And it also puts failure as part of the creative process. Because I think in theatre, we're so afraid of failure that it becomes a dirty word. Um, and for me, I think we have to try and go, can I try this scene like this? Can I, okay, what if this happens? Ah, that was a terrible idea. Great, but we've tried it now. Mm -hmm. And it means that having tried it, I've allowed that thing to now be discarded. And we can always actually come back to it and try it again later on. But I, it's, 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 and it sounds quite pretentious, but it's something I've really come to recently, understanding this analogy of, of building something is not right for what I do. I think it has to be a process of revelation so that we we can fail with grace, <laughs> with style. You know, it's like it's like a Buzz Lightyear. You know, he's not flying, he's, you know, falling with style or whatever it is. And I think it's really important. I think that's a beautiful way you've just described, actually, how we reveal ourselves as people as well. Totally. You know, understanding who we are, you know, and how we change and evolve and, you know, kind of grow and Completely. all of that beautiful experiences that you bring to yourself and thinking about, actually, who am I? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I do. This is why I'm here. Totally. I understand that why I'm and here. And all of those experiences <laughs> are sort of other layers of you know, of the marble that you're sort of peeling away, chipping away in a good way to sort of reveal a deeper and deeper understanding of who you Mm. are as much as anything else. Mm. And I think that's, you know, if we'd spoken five years ago, a hugely different conversation, you know, and I'm sure, you know, if we were speaking 10 years, it'd be a very different discussion as well. should do that. Let's make a date. I've got a date. I've got a date. I'd be fascinated to to, to sort of understand. Absolutely. When we're on episode 1,000. (laughs) I love that. But I do, I think it's really important. I think so much, well, I think his thing in the corporate world, potentially, Failure, you know, it, it's interesting. Like going back and seeing with with my family, my mum had great successes and great failures as well. You know, um, we spoke about Reva earlier mm. on and sort of you know things like that. Um, I, th- I I would say that all of the failures were just as important, if not maybe more so, than the successes, 
mm. you know, and it's it's interesting. I I I don't like to read reviews of my shows. I read all of them. <laughs> I do. I hunt them all down because I'm I doesn't mean I agree with all of them, but I want to know what are people saying? What, what are people identifying that maybe I missed or, oh, you interpreted it like that. I mean, that's mm. not at all what I set out to do, but mm. okay. Um, I understand wholeheartedly, while many actors don't like to read reviews, um, I think it's useful for me at a certain point. Mm. When they're bad, it, it's soul crushing at times, you know, and I've had that, I have had that, but I think it's really useful mm, to well, see it. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Totally, right? totally. Yeah. So so when you look back, Luke, because we could chat for I know, hours sorry, sorry. and hours, no <laughs> apology needed at all. I love in the conversation, no, it is fantastic. Are there are there actors that you think, oh, I would really love to work with, with him or her that are sort of on your bucket list, if you like? I know you say you've got a finite number yeah. of plays, etc. but are there, are, is there anyone that you think, oh yeah, that'd be really yeah. fabulous? There's, um, there's a... There's a, a young Irish uh, woman called Denise Goff who um, has done a lot of theatre and in the last, recently has done quite a few film and TV stuff. Um, so she, I believe, did, oh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but Andor, the Disney Plus Star Wars thing, she was in that. Remarkable. I know her from theatre background originally and I just think she, she's just... She did a play called People Places Things. It was just, it was on the National Theatre. Did tour, went to New York. I mean, just incredible. Um, I think I think she is remarkable. Um, I'm really lucky. Interestingly, a lot of Irish people coming up. I'm, mm-hmm. I worked with uh, a young woman called Katie Honan a few years ago. I directed a show at the Abbey Theatre in Ireland, um, and she was one of the leads in that. And she was sort of recently out of drama school, um, and we've worked together since uh, on a one-woman show that she wrote as well as um, is in and I directed her and I think she's her voice as a writer is incredible and she's the most amazing actor and we're working again together this year and hopefully on some other projects in the future I think there are always the the big actors that you know the Kate Blanchett's of the world who are Again, someone who has a foot in theatre and a foot in film and mm. understands the relationship between the two beautifully. I think that woman is just one of the most remarkable actors I've ever seen. And I've seen her on stage as well and just gone, wow, like, she's incredible. Mm. Um, someone gave, gave me, brilliantly, years and years ago, and I've never actually used it because I'm always afraid to, this fantastic notebook just on the front, it says, actors I've liked. <laughs> um, embossed in gold. And I'm always too afraid to actually use it because I'm like, well, I can't. <laughs> but I love that. And so I'm sure there are, there are many actors, yeah. many, many. And you go and see shows. And um, I saw uh, in the West End, um, there's Oklahoma at the moment. And a young, uh, a young actress who, Georgina, who I'd worked with, uh, when she was uh, a student at Arts Ed and I had directed her in a, a small project and then worked, taught her on a couple of things and um, she had an a, a amazing role and she was phenomenal as Ado Annie in Oklahoma and I got to see her afterwards and just the pride I felt and I did nothing, nothing, she's just incredible but the pride of going... You know, what an incredible performance by this young actress. Um, she sang a solo as part of the Oklahoma um, uh, bit that they did for the Olivier's. She started with this a cappella sort of bit of a song. And I was just like, this woman is young 20s and just at the peak of her talent. And actually she's going to go up and up and up and up. I say peak. It's not the peak. She's just huge becoming huge and I'd love to work with her again and mm. you know that kind of you see too every day too many to mention too many, too yeah many. incredible well hey listen the best is yet to come I think for Luke. one hopes one I hopes. think the best is yet to come so as we come to an uh, end yeah. <laughs> I've got three questions I want to ask you but before I do that actually Luke where can people track you down where's the best way to connect with uh, you? at the moment on uh, Instagram mm-hmm. uh, at Kernahan Luke 
Um, and so that's where a lot of my theatre, also I make cocktails. So cocktail making is up on that. Um, and this summer we're doing a tour of the Stamping Ground across Scotland and we're hoping it will travel beyond that. So please come and see that. It's a show that we're very proud of. Um, yeah. Perfect. Great. So coming to my last three questions, yeah. Luke. Very um, colourful and exciting life you've oh. led so far. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've had loads of advice over the years. Any standout advice for you? Yeah, the, I think the first one, and we've sort of skirted around it, is to not compare yourself to other people. Your journey is your journey. Mm. Um, and I think, again, I think I, so much of what I was worried about was about um, the non-linearness of my career or making the right choices and again you can see other people who may be at your uh, level or or just colleagues and it can be so easy to compare yourself to their journey and the minute that I stopped doing that and and went okay what's my journey in my career and, and we've touched on this mm. it changed everything for me and that's not to that's not to deny ambition because I think our own individual ambition is so important that it keeps us driving forwards, but it has to be my ambition and not the ambition that I feel someone else has set on me. Yeah. Uh, or the expectation of an external ambition rather than what do I want to achieve and do. Mm. So to not compare myself with other people has been one of the best pieces of advice. Yeah, well, it's, it's holding you in good stead, isn't mm. it? So, yeah, I hope so. Hope yeah. so. And it's, I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And any bad advice, Luke, that's come your yeah. way over the years? Yeah, I, <laughs> a lot. Uh. Um, but actually, the one that I think I kept coming back to when I was thinking about this mm. was not quite so much bad advice as... Someone early on in my training as a director, uh, someone I really respected, a teacher at one of my drama schools, said, oh, well, Luke, of course, you're not this kind of director. You're this kind. And he said it in such a sort of almost offhand way that I just went, oh, yeah, of course. And I, that's so wrong. <laughs> um, don't... I. I I am whoever I decide, determine and decide I am. Mm. And I think the worst advice I had was sort of that, to believe someone else's interpretation of what style or what type of director I was. And actually, I think I just... Actually, these things are so interconnected. But it's about authenticity and going, actually, okay, you think I'm not that, what do I think I am? What do I want mm. to be as well? And actually for, for a long time, immediately after he'd sort of said this to me, I, I believed him and didn't go for this style of job or theatre. Now that's out the window. <laughs> no, that's, I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. But I, th I found that very, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't agree with that. I was in a very... Um, he was in a position of power, so I believed it and him. Do you, do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. I think that it was very wrong to be so flippant and offhand about something that actually he didn't know. No. He just was sort of making an assumption. Yeah, and actually, like you say, you've gone on to have a whole variety. A whole variety. Of, you know, of... But I believed that in that moment in time because yeah. of the way the, the, the structure around it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you say, you know, you're in control of your own life. You've got yeah. the power to create who you yeah. want to be and what you stand for. Right? And I think that that is something, again, when I work with young people, I don't want to define mm. and I want to help support and nurture rather than go... Because you you can so easily say the wrong thing if, if in terms of that mm. you know and I don't I would never want someone to experience what I did very minor but but I it, it for a certain point it held me back yeah 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 and I can I can imagine that absolutely so the podcast is called Brave Bold Brilliant Luke and clearly you are all three of those <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't be here today um, but when you hear that Brave Bold Brilliant what does it mean to you um, it means doing the thing that terrifies you and do it with style and a smile. Because mm. I think I think there are so many things that absolutely terrify me and they are things now I go, do it, do it, do it, do it. And do it with good grace as much as you can and a sense of humour. Oh, I love that. What a way to finish. <laughs> it's a wrap, ladies and Done. gentlemen. Thank you so much, Luke. Oh, it's thank you so much. Yeah, it's really been enjoyable. Thank you for letting me waffle. <laughs> Not at all. It's been an absolute delight. It really has, so thank you. 
I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.